welcome to Kitchen Radio and welcome to Tim Tominas. Now, Tim, I've heard from your workmates because I know quite a few of your work colleagues that you're a fabulous cake baker and a, a baker of all things sweet. So I thought today it'd be great to bring you in and to talk about cake baking, particularly cake baking at work. Can you tell me how it all started? Mm, I've um, always had a pretty big fascination with baking um, and I think then, you know, when I sort of started my career and entered little office space workplaces, cake culture became really apparent. You know, you'd have a morning tea with your colleagues. Just to be in. clear, so you don't work in the catering industry? Is no, that no. I am, my background's in public health and international development. Um, so before moving to Mbantua, I was in Melbourne working in pretty office-based environments. And my first job was oh, out, straight out of uni with my degree was at the Cancer Council, Victoria, back in Melbourne. And I was in a pretty pretty big division, biggest sort of staff base I'd ever really worked in. And there was a pretty big emphasis on, you know, regular morning teas, everyone bringing something in, which uh, was a really great, you know, tradition that the division had, but was also a way of circumnavigating the... Uh, um, healthy eating uh, guidelines that they had at Cancer Council. So, you know, if anything was catered for, it had to be very specific. But if you brought it in, it's fine. You know, no one no one looked twice. It was at Cancer Council, was there for a couple of years. And, you know, a lot of people know that one of their biggest fundraisers is called the Biggest Morning Tea. It's a sort of morning tea-based fundraiser. Is it just for the Cancer Council or yeah, is it it's Australia-wide? It's okay. Australia-wide, yep, okay. um, but through, through Cancer Council Australia. Mm. So um, a real big fundraiser that they do every year. And at Cancer Council, yeah, like headquarters in Melbourne, it would coincide with the organisation-wide baking competition. And so I found out about this my first few months of like working there. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm a bit of a dab hand in the kitchen at the time. I was like, why not Why not enter something? So I made these, a, a version of like a sticky date cupcake. And I was like, yeah, put it in. Why not? And I remember going on the day and then they'd cleared out like a huge sort of like meeting room we'd use for all staff meetings. So like fit easily like 300, 400 people in and they had just cleared it out to remember tables of people's entries to be put on. And I was like, oh, okay, people take this really quite seriously. <laughs> like there are some really decent, like amazing looking things here. But anyway, I put my, my entry and I was, you know, proud of it. It did really well, got honourable mentions. I was really excited by that. But then I was like, okay, I've got 12 months till the next one to really upskill and sort of hone my skills as a baker to really enter something pretty, pretty amazing next time. So, And what yeah. did you enter next time? So I, I took the same concept but instead turned it into a, a layered cake, so a sticky date, four-layered cake. So sticky date cake layer, butterscotch from Swiss meringue, buttercream as well, butterscotch wow. sauce, and I also made like a toffee from scratch as well for a bit of you know added pizzazz and that went off like a house on fire uh, the following year demolished there was not a scrap left and yeah, so you, you all get to eat the cake yeah, as well yeah like so how it seems work, to be an important totally how it would work yeah. is you go around you'd enter something you'd sample everyone else's i think we got given like three like little tickets and there'd be little collection little tins at each entry and so you'd have three votes to cast for your favorite and at the end the one with the most votes um, wins. Wins and takes the glory for the year. 
Oh, well, that's great. So it's such an open sort of system of judging as well. It sounds like a fantastic thing to do. Yes, yeah. yes. It sounds great. Yes. <laughs> Except I think Except. there could be some issues. Tell me about maybe some of the issues. <laughs> that Without naming names. Of course, you know, still salty about this to this day. Um, no, it's all in jest. But uh, yeah, my cake did really well, but didn't win, unfortunately. I was beaten that year with it just coincided with the timing of the birth of the... Of, yeah, Royal Baby Archie, I think. And so one division had done, like, they did a division-wide entry that all brought in baby blue cupcakes yeah, in honour of, of the Baby Archie. Um, and so, yeah, they all also got votes. <laughs> oh, it seems sad that you won to cupcakes because to me I cupcakes know. are such a lesser version of a cake. I know, I know. But, you know, I, I was pretty chuffed that there wasn't a scrap of my cake left at the so end of the day. Did you get a, did you get a second? Was there a, is it just a one no, winner? No, just, just one. I know. Did you get an honourable mention? Or? I, I think I did. I must have. Surely. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And so it was quite competitive? Like in a, you know, in a nice way, I think, you know, there, there are definitely people who would just enter something, you know, for the fun of it and the people who would take it quite seriously. Mm-hmm. I just use it as an opportunity to kind of be like, well, this is something that's fun, it's creative, it's a real creative outlet for me. Let's take some time to invest in this skill and actually see if I can produce something mm-hmm. that's at a level that, you know, I'd kind of be really excited by and happy with. And how big was it Cancer Council? Like it sounds like there were quite a lot of cake entries. Yeah, and like in Victoria, um, Cancer Council there, I reckon there was around 400 to 500 employees. Oh, okay, yeah. Obviously not everyone's going to enter something. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I reckon at least like 50 to 80 entries. That's big. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's not like a little workplace of, (laughs) you know, 10 or 20 or even sort of where you work now, 50 or 60. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. yeah. Um, Wow, how competitive that must be. Yeah, in a nice, it was Of course, of course, very nice. Friendly competition, you know. Very competitive. Um, Did you continue to enter the competition after the year? Well, I left the Cancer Council after the year and I'd often um, kind of considered or was – encouraged to maybe enter into some of the public competitions like the Royal Melbourne show has like a baking entry of different like levels and different types of of baked goods I think I just got busy with with other things I just started baking just for friends and family and future colleagues yeah yeah have you ever entered the show here I haven't actually I um I was here for show day last year but I was out of town so I didn't get a, a chance to go but I might look into it this yeah, year. Yeah, have a look into it. It's a lot of fun. I, I mean, I used to enter and it always just makes going to the show a little bit more interesting mm. to see if you've managed to win or you've lost to something, you know, you know just particularly the same thing when you think you've just got the best orange cake that yeah. anybody could ever make but you only get second prize. That's pretty <laughs> um, sad really. Can you tell me in your current workplace, do you often bring a cake to work? I, I do occasionally bring in um, a cake to work haven't been able to for the last two months my uh, my oven at home is packed up so not a lot of baking happening right but at i think the moment. you can still you can still make cakes can't you without an oven We've i mean look you about can this. you can we have talked about this yeah um you could make a crepe cake you can you know the good old crepe we've got cake. the beatrix bakes cookbooks here and she's yeah, got we, a, Yes. We do, we do. And there I are think some we both agree the crepe cake just tastes like lots of crepes. Lots of crepes and lots yeah. of cream. If that's yeah. your thing, that's fine. But you know. It's not a cake. <laughs> yeah, this is cake. the question. I mean, is if it's not baked, is it not a cake? Oh. I did see you can do like rice cooker cakes. 
again, steamed cakes. Yeah, I've got a pretty fancy rice cooker at home. I, I use it for, who would have thought, for cooking rice. But you can, um, yeah, you can bake you, cakes. You can bake cakes. They've actually it. got a cake baking <laughs> setting on them, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, they do. Mine does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I have a friend, um, Laurie May, if you're out there, and she showed me this upside-down pineapple cake mm. that she had cooked around Christmas time because uh, her oven also had stopped working and she did a fabulous cake. So there you go. You, you go. can't use that as an excuse, I know, but Tim. I guess I can't. I've got too no. many appliances <laughs> that can probably do the job for it. <laughs> Tell me, what do you think bringing a cake to work brings to the workplace? Mm. I mean, I think for one, it's something I, I've leaned on, especially when starting in new places as a way to kind of be really friendly, be really invitational and sort of you know, create that really nice open space and environment to share something with some new colleagues and get to know someone a bit better. There's this Swedish concept called fika, and I don't know if you've heard of the term before. It's a pretty deep meaning, but like fika time in in Swedish culture is time taken out in the morning to kind of sit down with colleagues or friends for a cup of tea and, you know, a slice of cake. Wow, what's it called again? Fika, it's called. Fika, that yeah. sounds fabulous. And I was introduced to it just through some some close Swedish friends of mine many years ago now. But I was thinking about it more sort of in preparation for, you know, leading up to today, you know, more than just the literal sort of meaning of what it is. It's a, it's a bit more kind of deeper in that it's, it's about making time and space to actually stop what you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, stop the work, stop the, the craziness of the day and just take some time just to sit down with colleagues, friends, family and, you know, have that kind of more bonding time together. Yeah, like a, a great team building exercise. Yeah. And uh, there was a great show on Radio National yesterday and they talked about how workplace relationships are a lot more important now. People expect to be friends with the people mm. you work with. It's not just enough to go to work every day and come back home, but that those workplace relationships because you spend so much of your life there. Totally. Are um, actually important. Yeah, experience that in Melbourne for sure. And I, I think coming over here and working over here in the, in the context and the size of, of the town as well, I think that's amplified a lot more because your colleagues are generally also your friends outside yeah. of work. Are there any pitfalls, do you think, to cake baking at work? A pitfall? <laughs> <laughs> are there any potential problems? Like, you know, could it be seen as... Yeah, if there's favouritism, for example. Yeah, I think it depends who you're giving the cake to, Rita. Mm. Are you making it for everyone? You're just giving it to the people you like the most. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, it depends if people tell, really, isn't it, at the end of the day? Yeah, and, like, do you <laughs> always have to, like, give positive feedback mm. as well? Like, if you're the manager and you make a cake and people <laughs> don't like your cake, you yeah. know, for example, you know, am I going to remember that? What I'm doing that staff members KPIs at the end of the month. <laughs> I mean, look, no, just, I haven't received teasing, any. Actually. <laughs> I haven't received any negative uh, feedback from my manager just yet, but you know, it's there always time. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not working at the moment. I've left my job after 15 years, which is ironic that we're talking, <laughs> we're having this um, uh, topic for today. But there's a, a big range of food intolerances, as well as food preferences, mm. and I think that can be tricky. I think if you know, you bake a cake with lots of, say, cream and butter and eggs yep, and yep, you discover yep. that half the workplace uh, are vegans, for example, because suddenly it stops being something that's a- around sort of sharing and, and everybody's part of it to actually it's only really available to a couple of staff members. Yep. Yeah, I, there's part of me that enjoys the traditional kind of components of cake baking and, you know, real sort of 
traditional ingredients. But you know, I have I have made a couple of more food intolerant, allergy friendly cakes for, mm. for the workplace in the past, and often they're quite exciting because you're sort of taking a bunch of new ingredients that you haven't really sort of worked with in for the purposes of baking a, a cake before and like okay I don't really know how this is going to go but I'm excited to see where the where oh the process God. lands would you use a new recipe for a cake for work I'm thinking back on a specific time where I had to make a cake for work that was gluten-free and egg-free and I think also vegan so a real sort of great Venn diagram of all the tricky uh Food, uh, because you're trying foods. to be inclusive, right? You're trying to provide something yep. that everybody can eat. Yep, totally, totally. And I actually sourced uh, a recipe for that particular cake out of one of my sort of trusty cookbooks that I've you know, lean on quite heavily. And it was it was actually surprisingly good. Yeah. <laughs> you, like you, it was like, oh, this, this actually tastes good. Yeah, look, I did this recently as well for someone at work who was vegan. Seems to be the only person I ever baked for, not because he was my favourite, because for me it's a challenge. It's um, and the thing I did was I didn't necessarily tell some of the other fussy eaters what was in it because it mm-hmm. had like an avocado and coconut oil and chocolate yep. sort of icing, and I could imagine some people would might not eat it. So I I just told everybody it was a vegan cake, and everybody really loved it. Mm-hmm. And I think I still didn't go back and say you know to anyone afterwards. Like that had no eggs in it. Yep. That had, um, and it was fantastic. Yeah. I think it was a chocolate and beetroot cake with that sort of avocado mm, and coconut oil yep. topping, which is so beautiful. And there's oh, someone was telling me about another one where you can put mango and avocado. Oh, I haven't heard about that. Yeah, one. and uh, coconut oil and and cocoa, and and the texture is just quite amazing. Mm. And I think I think it's fantastic, sort of the innovation that's happening with that type of cooking. At Absolutely, the and it sort of just echoes back to the fact that baking is science at the end of the day, it and is it's, it's food it's mm. food interactions happening together, mm. chemical reactions happening, you know, in the kitchen. And there's no reason why we you know we can't experiment with other ingredients. In exactly. fact, I think one uh, a baker and patisserie and pastry chef I follow on Instagram. Instagram. I think Phil Curry is his name. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of him. No. Based Australian, born but based in the UK at um, is it Harold's over there, I think. Harrods. Harrods, that's it. And he's really gone off in the world of plant-based yeah, patisserie and, and baking. Mm-hmm. And it's just incredible watching the stuff that he oh, is making really? without yeah, those traditional kind of animal-based products. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, there is so many things you can do. Tell me, Tim, did you grow up in a cake-baking family because um, you you are of Greek descent? Yes, yeah, Greek background on both sides of my family. But ironically, I didn't really grow up in a, in a very baking-heavy uh, household. Both my parents are excellent cooks, but not really that experience when it came to baking sweet things. And I think for me, I, I enjoyed sort of baking sweet stuff were one because they tasted delicious and you know why not but also because there wasn't anyone there to kind of do it anyway so I was like okay well you know I'll jump in and and start you know filling in this gap that we seem to have in our family. So you so you didn't learn from your mother how to bake how did you learn how to bake? I, I um, was really self-taught a lot of it I did a lot of food technology home ec in in high school just because I found it fun, and mm-hmm. you got to eat your food at school. Like yeah, win-win I did the same me. thing. It's great at school. I encourage <laughs> all high school great. students to great. do cooking. And I, like, and I moved out of home pretty early when I was eighteen to start uni. So I kind of started becoming pretty self-sufficient in the kitchen, quite an early age. And I think for me, I, I, um, yeah, just started having a go and and finding recipes online, liking the look of something and trying to recreate it. But it wasn't until I think 
I started at Cancer Council, which is where I sort of took that next step to really elevate my my skill in, in the kitchen and baking to that more presentation level of, of baking, yeah. Mm. And did you always follow, like, recipes? I think back to when I was, like, 11 or 12 and I was baking in the kitchen. I It was only when I was maybe a little bit older that I understood that what to cream butter and sugar yep. it actually means to cream it's yeah, got to yeah, look yeah. like cream and, like cream, right. you know <laughs> and that when you whip your egg whites you actually have to really whip your egg whites and yep. you know I, th- I think cake baking is a lot of trial and error as well did, did you just follow recipes you know to the to the letter of the law or were you sort of like a little bit loose mm. initially in how you followed <laughs> recipes I, I was always of the sort of opinion and perspective that you know, baking and cooking were two very different things. Cooking is something where I would be very free in terms of, you know, being really experimental and really going with my kind of my senses when it came to making food. But with baking, I was really adamant about it being very specific and very down to the to the number and the gram and that, you know, specificity was really required to have good success. I think when I would come across recipes, I would follow them really quite strictly and still maybe like you know have used them a couple you know a few times and then start maybe adapting some things but even learning things along the way like I like even moving here and moving to a really different climate the kitchen environment changes and the way your food turns out changes as well so having to kind of think about those types of things which I never really thought about before when adapting recipes has been interesting. Yeah, like um, back to your point about yeah. it being um, around chemistry. Yeah. Tell me some of the ways you've had to change or alter your, your baking yeah, like for here. A lot, of the t- you know, a lot of the time, you know, things can be a lot drier, I think, and so adding like, a, you know, kind of making things more moist in baking is definitely one thing I've had to sort of adapt, you know, a little bit of extra dash of oil, a bit of dash of butter, you know, or liquid or egg that type of thing mostly yeah yeah i mean i know if i'm making homemade phyllo i um which i do sometimes mm. i never roll it out with flour mm. i always roll it out with olive oil yep. because otherwise it actually dries out in yep. this environment yeah i mean i had a guest on the show who was also a big cake baker she'd lived in community and she talked about um she'd lived in the top end how hard it was to get meringues to to work up in really humid True. climates whereas yep. here this is a perfect climate for for meringues yep. and pavlovas. so dry yeah <laughs> did you bring all your kitchen tools with you up to alice springs yeah so when i moved here i flew over but i um trucked my got sent my car on a truck and I was allowed to put small belongings in it. So I made sure that all my kitchen and baked baking goods was in there. That was coming with me. There was no negotiation about that yet. What mixer do you use? Well, of course, my trusty KitchenAid. Like, <laughs> of course. It would be sacrilege to say anything else. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny because in that Beatrix Bakes which cookbook, which, which is yeah. one of your favourites and yeah. mine, she almost makes reference to the fact that everyone must have a KitchenAid. Yeah. She talks about yeah. the, the speed, etc. Yeah. yeah, and the same for one of my other um, trusty cookbooks that I have too, KitchenAid as well. Yeah, and yeah. look, they are fabulous mixers, I have to say. They've mm-hmm. got a big, powerful motor yeah. and um, really good-sized bowls. Yep, and um, I, I actually – I remember buying my – KitchenAid, I think maybe my first or second year out of uni, which when you're, when you're there, you really don't have a lot of savings behind you. So it was a significant sort of investment to just yeah. splurge 400, 500 bucks on this kitchen appliance. 
Um, but it's been great. Got it's so great. much use out yeah. of it. Yeah, I mean, mine was actually seven hundred, and that was quite a mm. long time ago when they were very expensive here. Mm. And you can just keep adding the attachments. Yep. I've noticed I used one of my sisters when I went home to North Queensland last year to make my dad's ninetieth birthday cake, and I noticed that the more recent ones are a little bit different. The bowls were a little bit smaller, and I was, I was surprised to see that they had modified them. Mm. But back to tools. So, what else are your critical kitchen tools yeah, or baking tools? Totally. So, other than the stand mixer digital scales like for me you know speaking back to how baking for me is real a real art and specificity and you know not really erring on the side of a gram here or there yeah a set of kitchen scales is just so helpful and so and a time saver too to be able to just measure something out to the number i do enjoy you know some good utensils as well good whisk good silicon spatch to just get every single little little bit of cake batter, you know, out of that bowl into your tin. I mean, also like good tins as well and tins that are durable and that, again, that last. I've got a few different sizes at home. Yeah. Well. Baking a, paper, of course. Of course. <laughs> a great way to get good tins is through lawn sales. I've mm. picked up a lot of kind of ex-wedding cake tins that have actually got the seams oh, in them. Yeah, so it's really worthwhile going to lawn sales and pick up ex-wedding cake. Tins. Good tip to know. Thank you. And obviously an oven if you have one. Yeah, yeah, always yeah. helpful. <laughs> We're going to talk recipes. Tim, what do you look for in a good recipe book for cakes? Oh, I'm always drawn by what I can see. I think like if if what I'm seeing in the book is jumping out at me, I'm like, okay, that's that's something I want to recreate. There's a there's that saying that we eat with our eyes. I think a lot of the time. And for me, baking is as much of a visual sort of component as it is you know, the taste and making sure it tastes good as well. So if I'm drawn to the page by what I'm seeing, that's like a, a real win for me mm. in a cookbook. Is it hearsay as well? Do you ask other people what are a good cookbook? Absolutely. And that's that's definitely how I've come across, I think, both of the main sort of baking books that I have in my repertoire at the moment. And what are those two main baking yeah. books? So the the first one I, I kind of purchased is Magnolia Kitchen by Bernadette uh, Gee or G, depending how you pronounce it who's a baker based out of New Zealand. I was introduced to her and her baking through a friend of mine and uh, we actually did our, our group fitness training together. I hobby job as a, as a group fitness instructor, the body okay. instructor. <laughs> Just, you know, group fitness. Community development, yeah, community fitness, development, fitness, DJ in training <laughs> here at HCC. <laughs> but she, she was a phenomenal baker and she had really... You know, she was making cakes for functions and friends' weddings and birthdays and that kind of thing. And she'd have this Instagram page and I'd be like, I'd be like, Anna, how, you know, where did you learn, you know, any, anything you recommend? She's like, yeah, I highly recommend, you know, this baker and her cookbook. It's what I've used. And so I bought it and yeah, never looked back to it really. It really was the, the book that elevated my baking to that next level. So it's sure. called Magnolia Kitchen? It's called Magnolia Kitchen after the bakery that Bernadette set up in New Zealand, which unfortunately um, I think did close down uh, post-COVID, just as many kind of family-run places did. In fact, both these both books we're did, talking yeah. about today. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, you know, they're still kind of baking and the baking is still happening. And that one's been great. That one's been my, my real Bible, I think, in the kitchen. And the other one I have, which um, which you have as well, is, is Beatrix Bakes, which is the institution that is in North Melbourne or, you know, once was and still still does um, a bit of a bit of things, but just doesn't operate as the kind of 
daily shop front that it once did. And that's, yeah, that's a real sort of favourite of mine too. Very, uh, a bit intimidating, I think. It is very intimidating. I know when I first... (laughs) got it in fact i had a friend who got it because her daughter had worked there had yeah. you ever eaten um cakes so at Beatrix? two of my really good friends back home um they're both from france originally but they literally lived on the street of Beatrix bakes like so you could walk there in 20 seconds so it was great because i'd be over there over there all the time and i would just see these lines you know um at the front of this corner shop i'd be like what is going on one time and my friend was like oh yeah that's Beatrix bakes it's this really cool bakery and i'm like okay let's try some stuff it was great yeah what did you get when you were there oh like it would change all the time kind of thing but i I do remember i think my favorite being the the nutty caramel slice that Mm -hmm. they did which is funnily enough um one of the things i've made the most out of the cookbook at home yeah it's been pretty good okay which i've never i mean i make a plum gallet from Mm. here and i've made a black forest cherry cake or ghetto i've made a couple of things i've I've missed that one altogether yep it's it's a bit component heavy so definitely one that takes a bit of concentration but yeah, the end result is divine and yeah. I've been able to use it. It's an impressive thing to make. It tastes great, you know. It's uh, probably something you don't want more than a slice of at a time mm-hmm. just because it's pretty decadent. But it's a great presentation dessert and I've used it in kind of dessert boards and fruit platters and that kind of thing too, which has been great, really versatile. And I think for listeners out there, like if you do pick up Beatrix Bakes, it is a little bit daunting at first and I know, I mean, her recipes that I have used, I've been like, oh... You know, the first one or two times I use a recipe, it's it's quite hard to follow and there are lots of elements. But yep. I do find once I've used a recipe, say, twice, I'm like, okay, I've got this. I kind of understand. It's you practice know, makes what, perfect. Yeah, it's yeah, developing it's true, that yep. skill. Although I will say with Beatrix, often there, I feel like you need a whole day and maybe even more <laughs> the yes. day before to do some prep for some of those ingredients and components. Her Black Forest Ghetto that I made recently, she says three days. And I think I started that on a um, maybe a Thursday night. Yeah, and we ate it on the Sunday yep. and it actually did need those number of days just because you're making chocolate mousses and you're making cakes and you're making jellies and then you're putting things together yep. and then they have to sit as well. And often cakes do a lot better for a day of sitting as well. What's your favourite recipe in um, Magnolia Kitchen? There's a pretty pretty yummy chop chip cookie recipe. I'm a bit of a cookie fiend and I've used the one, the recipe from here uh, quite a number of times. And the thing that I think sets it apart from other recipes is that it includes um, ground oats. So kind of making some oatmeal to incorporate into the, into the flour base, which just adds this nice sort of consistency to it. But Magnolia Kitchen is the book that has, I think, my, my trusted go-to, you know, basic vanilla laid cake recipe so that cake that's gonna that you're gonna adapt and you're gonna add things to you can add flavors you can add fillings um and icing and also the recipe here with swiss meringue buttercream is the one i lean on to yeah can you tell me about that i was a little bit thrown when you <laughs> said to me there's swiss meringue buttercream because for me there's swiss meringue and then there's buttercream yep. for me they're like they're like oil and water they're yeah, like so two funny. ends of the yeah. spectrum yeah like your traditional buttercream your your you know your, your cream butter and generally icing sugar and some flavoring right to create that nice sort of mm. deliciousness and with swiss meringue the concept is similar except your you're starting with your egg whites and your sugar and I do it over like a, a double boiler to kind of melt it down, pop it on my stand mixer, start whizzing it up until you kind of get that meringue sort of stiff consistency. And once you're there, you get your room temp butter and you kind of add it a tablespoon at a time. And it starts off looking like, what have I done? It's just like a pile of you wet You just sludge. killed your meringue yeah, basically, meringue. yeah. But you give it time yeah, and it's like magic. It turns into this silky, flowing, delicious buttercream and it's just such a, a a nicer 
type of icing to work with, yeah. particularly for, for cake icing and for that more decorative yeah. part of, of cake design. Is it design. like a mayonnaise? Oh, um, Is that a terrible thing no, to say? But it, I'm it, doesn't, like it doesn't flow like a mayo, you know. It's still got that rigidity to so it. So it does, it'll set. It'll so set. that's the other thing which mayo doesn't do. Yeah, and it'll set in the fridge, you know, when like, you put it in the fridge. Because it's got the all cold, the butter in exactly. it. Exactly. So the, the butter will go cold and solidify yeah. and yeah. chill. Yep, yeah. so it's, it's great. Like yeah. I, once you make it, you'll never go back to regular buttercream. <laughs> oh, wow. I might just have a look at that yeah. recipe after the show, I think. Tim, can you tell me about one of your favourite recipes, which is the, the go-to, the sticky date pudding recipe? Yeah, I, I remember sticky date pudding being, I think, one of the first desserts that I ever made. When I was young, I think particularly, it's one of those things that's a bit, you know, not too complex you know, nice, nice and simple to sort of start off with um, when you're in the kitchen. And I remember at the time I was in high school, I was working a part job at a local pharmacy and I was like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll make it. I'll bring it in for my colleagues, you know, why not? A nice thing to do. So um, this is pre-cancer council? This is pre-uni, so this is pre-cancer council. Yep. This is like I was 16 or 17 or something. And I brought it in and, you know, my colleagues were like, this is delicious, this is great, you know, and I'm sure part of it was them being really nice, but also like, oh, this felt good, you know, <laughs> why not do this again? And I've really lent on that, that recipe over the years and it's, it's just one of those ones that you can't go wrong, it's sweet, it's yummy. I've never met someone who doesn't particularly like sticky date and I'm the type of person that I don't really like chunky sticky date, so I, I really sort of blend Oh, my can, dates can you go through the process, how you yeah, would make it? Yeah, I start off with my dates um, in boiling water with a bit of bicarb soda, you know, softens them up a bit. Pitted, pre-pitted dates, always a bit of a time saver, highly recommend. And what sort of dates? Are you not buying the medjool dates? Is it, or is it, are, you, you know, are you buying really good dates or are you just buying any um, saying, just cooking buy, dates? I'm just buying dates out of the, the, um, the sort of dried fruit section yep. out of um, the supermarket. Nice and easy and they work just as well. Yep. So let them do the thing for a bit. In the meantime, putting my kind of flowers, my self-raising and a bit of plain flour together to once those dates have softened, I'm blending them up, but retaining the, the water because that water is used in the recipe as well. Eggs, a bit of vanilla extract and sugar too. And I usually do a blend of, of white and brown sugar. And I've oft, I've actually been, since I moved here, it was actually through the Beatrix bakes the caramel slice recipe called for like dark like dark brown sugar i had never actually used it before i was like this should go really well my sticky date why not try put this in and it was great it was delicious and as well as that making the this like a salted butter butterscotch sauce which is just the icing so the are you baking you the um the batter as yeah, well yeah yeah yep. so yep. baking that batter. so we've put in the dates yep. and then we've got did you say butter and brown sugar yep so yep. you beat that up together yep um, and then are you adding some flour? Yep, so you're adding your, that, that flour blend I was mentioning earlier. Oh, right. yeah. so what was the flour blend again? So self-raising and plain flour. Great. Yep. Sorry, I got distracted there. <laughs> self-raising <laughs> and plain flour. Yep. So that's going into a cake tin? Yep. So you're adding the wet and the Do dry together. Do you need together. to butter the cake tin? I, I'm always of the opinion that I'm always going to um, grease and line my tins with baking paper. I never, okay. I never cook without it. <laughs> okay. It's just because sticky date pudding is often served in the... Actually, in the tin mm. sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But so you are, it, you are putting baking paper in the tin. I, I am. It depends how I'm making it. If I'm making it as one large cake, I'll make it as if I'm making a cake. Yep. And then once it's out, poke holes in it, 
got the butterscotch sauce pour it over and it just absorbs and creates this nice sort of layer once it cools and it top. looks pretty because often i think sticky date pudding doesn't look pretty mm, and it looks it looks great it looks divine like i sent you i think a picture of one of my sticky mm. dates and it just it's glistening it's delicious it looks fab and I have also made that recipe in individual portions. So using like a muffin tray and actually making them into little mini muffins, which is great when you're kind of hosting or you're taking somewhere, you know, you want you want more individual size kind yeah. of. Now what's in the sauce again? Is it um, more sugar and butter? It's brown sugar yeah. and butter. More and brown sugar and cream. butter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, real. Yeah, three and then you serve it with cream, it. don't you, as well? Uh, yeah, cream ice cream, either or. Yeah. and you know, with more sauce on the side, why not? Yeah. We're in, it's indulging. You yeah. know, no two ways about it. Um, and I also put salt in that sauce as well oh, to give it that, that, that elevator. Yes. Oh, it's so yeah. good. Once yep. you have it, you're just not going to go back. <laughs> so in terms of making it pretty or you want you want to go for an aesthetic, mm-hmm. like obviously you can bake it in a tin. Are there other yep. things you can do to make it um, look? Prettier? I mean, look, you can turn it into a four-layer presentation cake like yep. I did in the kids' Yeah, council, of course, yes, yeah. Three spare nights to kind yeah. of prep all those components. Yeah. yeah. Um, or, you know, I, I've also added fruit sometimes too, so some strawberries is really nice with that. Oh, really? On the top? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Do you ever put nuts in it? Like Not walnuts? in my sticky date. I'm, I'm very, very particular about how I like it. <laughs> Purist, I would Purist, say. Purist, yes. <laughs> how might you change that if you had someone who was gluten-free? Yeah, an interesting one. I've never attempted a gluten-free sticky date before. I mean, like, I, I'm hesi- I'm always hesitant to just substitute ingredient for ingredients because the food chemistry doesn't really work like that. You know, it's a bit hard to just substitute your, your gluten-free flour. Yeah, and often it's like trial and error yeah. as well. You've got to sort of try – I'll often try different flours. Like, I might do a combination of, like – barley flour or buckwheat flour mm. and I rarely use a gluten-free flour. I'm more inclined to actually try combine different flours or yep. oat flour is a good one to yeah, try as well. Yeah, yeah, yep. yep. But you could, I suppose, experiment with that. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. But that's not one where you're relying on gluten for flour, I imagine, to hold it together. Not too much, no. yeah. Yep, yep. What are some of your other favourites, Tim? Oh, gosh, I do like making a good pavlova. I think just it's... Just the magic of it. You make it. You kind of make it around the December time every year. It's you know holiday season. And do you make a pavlova like with more of a hollow, or are you sort of more of a mound pavlova mm, person? No, I'm definitely a hollow. Yeah, Just me too. A bit of a cavity for all that cream yeah. and berries and fruits, yeah. for sure. Pav was something that took me quite a few goes to get, and I think it does for a lot of people. Yes, it it doesn't. Also depends on what you're going for with mm. a pavlova, whether or not you sort of kind of want a, a dry, crispy. Um, meringue or whether or not you want a softer meringue yeah, exactly. as well what yeah. do you prefer to go for mm, i think i'm more of the i, I like the crisp sort Me of too. outside yep. um with a little bit of soft in the yeah. inside i like yeah. a bit of both worlds perhaps look just great aren't yeah. they yeah i like them with tropical fruits mm-hmm. as well i really mm-hmm. like a mango on them and um always passion fruit on my yes over. yes me too i often go for like a bit of a berry medley with some passion fruit yeah. Well. yeah, I remember one year I used must have been a berry medley, and I found red currants here, and so you could just put a spray of red currants on it, and it was very beautiful. Yeah, sounds good. I've I've never experimented with flavored pav though. I've always been very purist. I think in my me pav too, flavor. me too. It doesn't seem right. No. I mean, a chocolate pav, <laughs> chocolate pav. I think I might have tried chocolate pav, but I just don't think it needs it. I think what makes pavs exciting is actually the fruit and getting that fruit combo right, and yeah. it's like the sweetness of the meringue and then the butteriness i suppose of the cream yep and making sure and you got a good whip to that cream the too. tartness yep. yeah 
Tim, you had some interesting experiences with mindfulness and mm. baking. Can you talk to me about yeah. mindfulness and totally, baking? Totally. My um, last job before I moved over here was with a mental health nonprofit called Smiling Mind. A lot of people know Smiling Mind, I think, for guided meditation and, and their meditation app. But I, while I was there, I was project managing and got to work on a real variety of, of different types of projects and, and mindfulness concepts. And it really sort of opened and broadened my understanding of mindfulness and separating it from meditation to actually, you know, seeing how mindfulness exists in everyday life and sort of more the everyday things that we do that we just don't think about at the time. And one of those, and like essentially the way my mind explains mindfulness is that it's about being in the present moment and just being paying dedicated, you know, specific attention to what you're doing at one particular time. You know, you're not having those wandering sort of thoughts, which come and go naturally because the brain's a thinking machine, but it's about attention training and losing attention, redirecting it. And that's the sort of practice of mindfulness. And for me, that really, I enjoyed a bit of guided meditation, but it wasn't the type of thing that would always sort of take me to where I sort of wanted to go, you know, in that particular moment. I often looked for ways to practice mindfulness more in the, in the everyday things I was doing. And for, for me, that definitely came through in baking. You know, I, I think I'm, I'm definitely one of those people that likes a good, likes a good phone scroll and a little bit of, you know, mindless sort of distraction. But when I'm in the kitchen and baking, my focus is really sort of solely on what I'm doing. And it's like an hour will fly by and I don't know where the time has gone because I'm just so focused and my attention is just so given to that, to that moment in time. And also because like if you distract for a moment, something can go terribly wrong and your, your whole thing's gone up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it does require this constant attention. Yeah. Mm, but that, yeah, but that was, I think considered or had, had the appreciation of baking, not just something that was fun and a skill to develop, but had a, um, had this other quality to it that was actually really nourishing for my own mental health and my, my sort of mental fi fitness as well. Yeah, it's yeah. a lovely idea, you yeah. know, rather than have a swim, maybe bake a cake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it goes back to that concept of fika and that, that act of, you know, baking in the workplace too and taking that time out to just put everything else down, phones, work, whatever, and just take that moment with some coffee and cake and some, yeah. you know, your colleagues and your friends. Yeah. Do you... Ever feel bad about the amount of sugar that you're <laughs> sharing with people? I mean, not really. <laughs> it's a treat, isn't it? It's like a treat. it's not something that you're having every day. And I think that's going back to our idea of workplace treats. It's actually something special that you're sharing with the people around yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a treat. It's it's I think something we need to consider in moderation with a healthy <laughs> lifestyle. I don't know, maybe that's why I often say that's why I'm also a group fitness instructor. Um, similar things, yeah, isn't it? You know, cake baking yeah. and fitness. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least a balance, you know. I I teach and work out so I can eat more cake. I well, actually, I'm thinking that at the moment because <laughs> I'm not working and I really want to eat pasta. And it's like, well, the only way I can eat pasta is to actually work out a little <laughs> bit more so I'm burning the calories. Yeah. And it is, it is a, a, for me, it feels like a healthier way of, of looking at food, of saying I do want to eat but I don't want to sort of like put on weight. So how can I do both of those things? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think about moderation and, and sort of enjoying the moment of it. I think we can get really sort of... Um, caught up in our minds um, about about food yeah. and about food in general. And I know for a lot of people, food is really sort of anxiety driving and some, a lot of people have a lot of sort of issues with, with food for them. And I think for me, you know, it's not something I'm going to 
indulge in every day, but it is something that I put a lot of love and and time into making. And I think often when I'm baking, I'm never just baking for myself. I'm often baking for someone else or for an occasion or for, for something that's happening. And that sort of is nice. Yeah. yeah. Have you read about this called A Taste of Harmony yeah. that's happening in yeah. workplaces? So it's celebrating diversity in the in the workplace. Yeah, by yeah. Um, honouring um, kind of cultural difference, dif- yeah. difference and, and foods from different cultures. It's been running for a number of years. Yeah, it has, but it's happening between, I think, the 15th and the 30th of March. So I just thought I'd mention that. And yep. It's called it's at tasteofharmony.org.au and I think organisations similar to the, the Cake Bake Off, the Cancer Council can can opt in and do something around that. Yeah, it's such a lovely thing to do. Yeah, it is. Are you doing any baking this weekend, Tim? Oh, I mean, now that you've... Um now you've called me out on saying I, uh, having no oven is no excuse for baking. Maybe I might have to whip out that rice cooker. And yeah, look, you can, <laughs> and you're always welcome to borrow my oven Thank or pop, pop over. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually got to go home and make a Persian love cake. Oh, yeah, I was one gonna, of my favourites, actually. Yeah, it is yeah. lovely, yeah. I was going to make a galactoburico and actually make homemade phyllo, but that's actually like a day's worth of, yeah, of work I to do it properly. Like, Rhea, you're going to magic some hours up out of the day to, to make that. <laughs> it's not going to happen no. tonight. What about any recent exciting food experiences? You know, I was in Thailand over the kind of summer break and that was my first time being back overseas since uh, since post-COVID. And it was an exciting time. And I'd been there uh, when I was younger as a, as a child, sort of on a family holiday, but this was my first time back there as an, as an adult. And I just felt like I tried a lot more different things that I didn't try before. I don't know if this was particularly pleasing but a lot of um a lot of uh, insects on the street okay. food on one particular tour which was uh different <laughs> i imagine they were well flavored though i imagine mm. like knowing thai food which is really flavorsome where they really play around with salt and sweet yep. and 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 sour yep yeah yeah, yeah real real um flavor and textural experience mm. you, you, you're um. sounding like you weren't that impressed <laughs> maybe not so much maybe not something i'd, I'd try again it's in the, the future home, Tim. Apparently it's the it's future it's the future yep. a lot of um don't know if you're gonna ever do you reckon you'll ever see um some grasshopper flower in your kitchen um i've actually bought dried grasshoppers actually when i was yep. at the gold coast and I, I fed them to my nephew my five-year-old nephew he loved them i Great. couldn't <laughs> quite bring myself to yeah. eat them but he sat there eating them. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. and there's I mean, I think there's some flies that are really, really high in protein mm. and I think it's only a matter of time before insects are being ground up and uh, they'll be for sale. I'm in the supermarket. Yeah. I'm not quite sure when. But if you look now, there's like monk fruit sugar, there's an awful there's a much bigger array of flowers and sugars available yeah, in absolutely. supermarkets. Yeah. I think what I got addicted to in Thailand was um just your classic mango sticky rice. And I don't know what it is about it's it. It's so simple, it's isn't so it? Simple. I don't know what it is about getting in Thailand, but mm. it just it seems so elevated and delicious. Tim, mm. I think there's a cake there. You know, so if in your rice cooker, cook that sticky rice. You could cook it in a mould and then just beautifully put mango over the top and then pour coconut milk oh, I know and what, then toasted coconut yeah, over the Yeah, I know top. what my homework is for the weekend. Then. Yes. Thanks, Rita. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> I was in Adelaide last weekend at WOMAD and I had this amazing layered Ukrainian cake where I was um, doing a bit of volunteer work for um, an arts organisation and they were just next to the Ukrainian tent. And we got this um, walnut and honey cake. Mm. 
and it was just these layers and layers of not a sweet cake and it had some kind of a pastry cream and the whole cake wasn't sweet but it was one of the most amazing cakes I've ever tried in my life and I know I had Joanna Henricks on the show or we did a pierogi show ages ago and she's Polish and she'd talked to me about the same cake so that for me was my most amazing food experience last weekend yeah, wow. as well i also had a burrata with watermelon and heirloom tomatoes on it and that was pretty nice delicious as well that's the great thing about traveling is just trying different foods oh, it's like the i think the thing on top of my list when i go anywhere it's food yeah you know? yeah i'm actually getting a lot better and actually working out where i'm going what i'm going to eat yep. but if i'm going overseas particularly to asia i mean that's you don't do that there you just go out on the street and eat street food and yeah and yeah i think i've done most of my traveling in asia um, and often when i'm going overseas i'm every time i go i'm trying to do some sort of cooking class over there too. yeah it's great isn't it? it's the best thing to do particularly yeah. when you go to markets as well yeah Oh, Tim, you've just inspired me. I can't wait to get home and start cooking my <laughs> Persian love cake. Thank you so much for coming on my show and talking about baking at work. And I, I think your workplace should well, – should they expect a, a cake in the yeah, next know, couple I, of weeks? Yeah, I know. Now they're going to hear know, this, I they're going to be like, oh, Tim, you haven't made anything in two months. What's going on? I'm like, okay. So, yep. so I think now I'm going to have to bring something in very soon. <laughs> We're going to go out today. Look, it's a little bit of a sad thing to go out with, but a young um, Walpere Torres Strait Islander man I've known um, – for a long time since he was 18 called Thomas Saylor passed away earlier this week and he was such a wonderful musician I thought I'd depart from the theme of cooking and baking and actually go out with a song one of Thomas's first songs that he ever um, composed by himself called Baby so um, you've been listening to Kitchen Radio and we're going out with Baby <laughs> <laughs> 